magician's niece presents Sinisterhood by Helena Marie Chandler. Music by Adrian Romero. she was going to hurt her if she didn't go straight to bed. Dawn knew well now, especially after reading all of Auntie Kira's secrets book, just what her mummy was capable of. As she sat on her bed, stroking her doggy, Dawn realised that she should always have just stuck to Etta's sensible advice. Just forgive your mother. When it comes to your family, it's always best to forget the past and move on. Dawn was very angry with herself. She shouldn't have poked inside that smelly hole in the garden. She didn't even know what was in there, for heaven's sake. She was just curious because it smelt a lot, and Dawn had once read in a book that people who died smelt terribly, and Auntie Kira had died, and maybe she had died in the hole in the Helen's Bay house. Dawn wished Auntie Kira was there so that she could ask her questions and then she would give her all her best advice. Dawn cast her eyes down at her doggy. She tried to ask him what she should do, but doggy just yawned and gave a little yelp. Dawn didn't have any option, therefore, but to simply get into her pyjamas. Mummy soon came upstairs. She entered Dawn's bedroom, the old bedroom with the pink walls, where Dawn had always slept when she came home on her short visits to Northern Ireland. Mummy was carrying Dawn's Horlicks. It was in a big and pretty mug, which had lots of lovely birds on it. Mummy handed the mug to Dawn, telling her to be careful because the drink was very hot. Dawn looked at the pictures of the birds. They were all swans, all of them white and one of them black. Thank you, said Dawn, taking the mug from her mother. She tried to take a sip of the drink, but it was still far too hot to possibly swallow. Drink up, please. I can't, Mummy, said Dawn. It's too hot. I'll burn my lips. Dawn set the mug down on the windowsill. Blow on it, then. I don't want it yet, Mummy. I want to talk to Doggy. Doggy doesn't talk, Dawn. You're 18 years old, so will you please stop acting like a child? I'm 17, said Dawn. Don't you even remember my birthday? Dawn's mother was still standing over her. She had her fists parked firmly on her waist and she had a scowl on her lips and a growl in her throat. Dawn didn't want to prod the monster. She took the mug and she blew on the drink and the thick sandy coloured liquid, it rippled. Take a sip, said Mummy, encouragingly. Dawn tried to take a little gulp. It was hot and it was nasty and Dawn thought it tasted a bit gone off. She had to spit the drink from her mouth and back into the mug. Ugh, she said. What's inside? Do you want me to get you an ice cube, Dawn? That'll cool it down. Dawn shook her head. I don't want to drink that. I think the milk's gone bad. Dawn put the mug down onto the windowsill. Mummy snatched it up into her hand. She thrust it forward towards Dawn again. Dawn could tell that she was getting very angry. Drink it, Dawn, please. Dawn thought it was very strange that Mummy was so very desperate for her to drink this yucky liquid. She'd come to accept that her Mummy was strange. 
She'd also come to accept that her mummy was nasty and that her mummy fed poisonous food to all her best and closest enemies. Was mummy trying to poison her? Did the drink taste yucky because she'd put in it her special herbs? Dawn began to panic. She was so silly, she thought. She should have forgotten poor Auntie Kira. She shouldn't have talked to Daddy. She should have pretended to love her mummy, to be kind to her, to let everything in the past dissolve into a pool of old and forgotten memories. But Dawn knew that it was already too late. She looked down at the mug. She looked back at her mummy. Drink it, Dawn, said her mummy again. Dawn hesitated for a moment. She was trying to think. Mummy lunged forward and grabbed the mug. Dawn tried to snatch it from her. Doggy was barking now. It was yelping again. It jumped from the bed and began tugging at Mummy's ankles and biting at her shoes. Get your dog away from me, said Mummy, kicking the animal away. I'm going to pour your poison in the sink. Mummy seemed to freeze. She took hold of the mug with both hands. Her jaw became stiff like steel. She looked Dawn in the eyes with a wild and demented expression. What did you say? Dawn couldn't believe that she had been able to say it. You put the deadly nightshade into my horlicks, didn't you? Deadly nightshade? What on earth is this rubbish you've got inside your silly head? Dawn was conflicted. She knew it was bad to prod the monster, but now it was too late. She'd already gone too far. You've got the purple plants in the garden and you used them to speed up the inheritance. What are you trying to say, my girl? Whatever it is, I most certainly don't like it. You hurt Auntie Kira and you hurt my daddy and now you're trying to hurt me too. Why would I want to hurt my own family? Families take care of each other, isn't that right? You hurt Auntie Kira because she was nasty to you when she was a little child and because you got things when she died. I don't know why you hurt Daddy. Maybe it's because you didn't like him, because he liked Kira and he didn't like you. Mummy was shaking like a feather in the wind. Her face was white and her mouth was wide and her breath was caught in her throat. I don't know what happened to Auntie Kira, but that bird has no beak and I think you hit her on the head with it. She didn't kill herself because she was a happy person and she really hated cruises. Dawn couldn't believe what she was saying. She was overcome by thoughts and words. They were falling out of her mouth after all these months, tumbling forwards without control. It looked to Dawn as if Mummy was crying. I think the police know a lot more than you do. There was an investigation. All the clever people who knew Kira, like me and Uncle Nigel, we know that she was unbearably sad. Sad in a way that you could never understand. Never forget, Dawn, that you are just an imbecile. But Dr. Jones has looked inside my brain and she tells me I'm very clever. Well, she's wrong. And I'm fed up with that woman giving you all sorts of highfalutin ideas. It's dangerous. Are you going to kill me then? Just like you killed my Auntie Kira? Dawn wished straight away that she hadn't said it. Why couldn't she just drop it, just like her friend Etta had said? Maybe it was because her mummy was in her own family, and when it comes to your own family, you just can't let things go. Mummy was pacing the room now. She was groaning and moaning like a dinosaur in a cage. 
Dawn sat down on her bed. She looked at her mummy and she spoke in a quiet little voice. I'm not going to tell anybody, mummy. I forgive you. I just think you're a very sad person and that people have been nasty to you and then you decided to be nasty back. Etta said it is not a good idea because then it just goes on and on until forever and I don't want people in my family to keep being nasty to each other any more. Well, you've told Etta and that's one person too many. Do I need to deal with Etta too? Dawn saw that the tears were rolling down her mummy's cheeks now. She was really a very sad woman, thought Dawn. Dawn couldn't bear to think of how sad her mummy had been when she was a child with Auntie Kira being so nasty to her and her own mummy and daddy also being mean. Dawn looked at her feet and began to walk towards her mummy. She opened her arms wide and folded them around her waist. Leave me alone, Dawn, said Victoria. It's past your bedtime. I'm far too tired. I'll deal with you in the morning. of herself as she stumbled out of Dawn's bedroom and walked stiltedly towards the stairs. How could Victoria have fooled so many people and yet never have been able to hoodwink her one and only idiot of a child? Victoria grasped hold of the banister. Gently she lowered herself, staggeringly, down the stairs. Karma and Sutra could sense her upset. They slinked up the staircase and met her, quite exhausted, on the middle step. What a mess. Her thoughts were racing. Maybe it was best, she thought, that the killing hadn't occurred. Maybe the police wouldn't have believed her little story of her 18-year-old girl simply walking off. Maybe they'd start a second investigation. Maybe they'd find the deadly nightshade and then Kira's corpse also in the cesspit. Victoria needed a stiff drink. She needed to clear her thoughts. She needed to sit with a notepad and pen and plan absolutely everything through. Victoria managed to lay one foot in front of another. She managed to stumble into the larder and grab a bottle of her drink. It was dark. She didn't have the energy to switch on the light. In the fog of her emotional turmoil, her legs gave way and she sank to the floor. With one stiff heave, she pulled out the stopper. She took one long languorous swig. The drink was as if a potion, sending calm waves of relaxation coursing through her veins. The taste was quite something, much nicer than she had remembered for the brand. Victoria took another deep swig, her lips clasped around the neck of the bottle. She could hear the gentle patter of Karma and Sutra's paws 
as they must have realised that the door of this forbidden realm, the larder, was open now quite wide. Victoria didn't mind, though. After the tumult and the chaos of the evening, those two pretty pussies could feast until their heart's content. Here, kitties, she began to say, but she found that she couldn't hear her own voice. Victoria tried again. She was growing ever more agitated. Dawn, she tried to cry out, but her tongue was frozen and her mouth was immobile and a roaring headache was beginning to tear at her mind. It was growing shriller now, more intense, ugly and persistent and raw. She had only ever felt such pain one time in her life, and that was when she was giving birth to her dawn. At first, Victoria thought it was the stress of the evening. It was only when she tried to take hold of the bottle again, in the hopes that the alcohol might finally dull the pain, that she saw the liquid, briefly illuminated by the moonlight, and she knew right then that she'd drunk the special gin. The gin she'd made for Geoffrey. The gin she'd made for Kira. Victoria could feel Karma licking at her finger. She didn't have the control to push the pussy away. A purple-flavoured nausea was erupting from some unfathomable depth within. Victoria's torso was sliding down the wall. She was trying to sit up. Her mouth opened. An involuntary whine was leaking from her throat. The liquid was coming now. She could feel it nearly there. It would all come pouring out, and then she would be all right. The sick didn't come out of her throat, but it just sat there. Victoria couldn't cough. She couldn't sit up. She couldn't even breathe. The larder was spinning around her. She was feeling more and more lightheaded, as if almost floating there as she lay on her back on the floor. The liquid was entering her nostrils. It was frothing, bubbling with the last of her life-giving breath. Victoria was sure that, by now, she should feel panicked. But all that she felt now was an almost hypnotic sense of calm. She pictured herself there from above, her beautiful body and her beautiful cats cast in the pearlescent glow of the moonlight. was beginning to rise over the woodland and the sea in the distance. Its rays were red, as if leaking blood over the countryside scene. Dawn saw it, and she thought it looked dangerous. Red sky in the morning, shepherd's warning. It was Halloween after all, she thought. And it was her birthday. At least she'd made it to 18 years. 
how was Mummy going to do it? How had she done it to Auntie Kira? And Daddy? Would it be the purple flowers? Was it to be the snowy egret? Or the salt? Or the bad-tasting horlicks? If Dawn got out of bed and took her suitcase and her doggy out of the front door and just left her mummy, maybe she wouldn't be able to kill her. But what if doggy started barking and mummy woke up? She'd definitely get the snowy egret then, and she'd bring it down on Dawn's head, and Dawn would be shouting, No! Please! Stop! Dawn's breath was growing deeper. She felt tears begin to appear in her eyes. Why her? Why had she been born into this terrible family? What had she done? Why had she done it? Why had she made her mummy so furiously mad? Dawn, though, she was beginning to feel that she had absolutely no choice in this mad play. She realised that if she were to stay in the house, she would surely be victim of her mummy's nasty games. At least if she fled, she had a chance of survival. Dawn would simply have to leave the house as quietly as she possibly could. Dawn opened her suitcase. She took out her coat. She slinked it over her pyjamas, thinking it best not to make a fuss and get changed. She prodded Doggy behind the ear. It barked a little. Dawn felt nervous. She had to quieten it down. Shh, Doggy, she said to the animal as she clipped the lead to its collar. She took the little dog up in her arm. She lifted the suitcase with the other. Quietly, she tiptoed in just her slippers over the bottle green carpet and down the stairs. Mummy wasn't making a sound. No raucous snoring, no heavy breathing. Just silence. And then the pitter-patter of the feet of those ugly cats. They looked like little ghosts to dawn, moving mechanical skeletons, only wrapped in skin. They were purring. Hissing, they were drawing their teeth. Dawn felt afraid of them. They came closer, and she had to batter them away with her bag. Get away, said Dawn, under her breath. Dawn took the door off its latch and bundled herself, her dog, and baggage through the mere and slight opening she'd allowed to prevent the cats from escaping from the house. She rushed across the gravel drive and headed for the train station at the end of Kathleen Avenue. Dawn didn't have long to wait until the early morning train to Belfast arrived. It was already a quarter to six. The sun was rising brighter now. Birds were singing. They were beginning to fly high in the sky. Dawn would take the train just four stops into Hollywood. The station was just around the corner from the Hollywood homes where Dawn's daddy lived. Dawn was so excited that she'd be seeing her daddy once more. She made an inner vow, though, that she'd never willingly speak to that evil woman again. Chapter 75 The Hawk Would somebody please open that bloody door? Rachel and her husband were furious. It was a Saturday morning. It could only have been nine or ten o'clock. 
The boys were already downstairs, no doubt playing their ridiculous, murderous video games. The knocking had started three minutes ago, and no one had bothered to answer the door. I'll go, said Rachel at length, with a roaring growl and a foggy head. She kicked off the duvet and ripped her dressing gown from the hook behind the bedroom door. We've three brutes for children, Michael. It's high time you got a grip of them. Rachel steadied herself against the wall as she marched tiredly down the stairs. The banging continued, more forced, louder now. All right, she said, flinging the belt of her robe into a knot and planning on just what she was going to say to whomever was so rude as to awake them at this unearthly weekend hour. Rachel took a good look into the living room as she passed it hoping that her ghostly glare would inspire at least some fear in her children. But all three pairs of eyes were glued to the new television set, their ears muffled by brand new headsets, their fingers clenched greedily around consoles and joysticks. A figure appeared at the living room window, his leather-gloved knuckles were rapping rudely on the glass. Disgusting, thought Rachel, as she leapt towards the door. Rachel could never have imagined, however, whom she was to find, waiting on the porch. Two uniformed RUC officers and a plain-clothes policeman. Are you Rachel Fowler? barked the leader of the three, his eyes all wide and accusatory. Rachel's neck stiffened. She recoiled. Her boys may have been boisterous, but they were Campbellians, and certainly not bad. Yes? We need to talk to you. May we come in? To me? Talk to me? The trio almost barged straight past her. They tore into the house without an invitation. Michael had appeared at the top of the stairs. What in all hell's going on here? Rachel? Rachel gave an angry shrug. She was surely powerless against this, the full force of the law. She followed the policeman into the dining room. They closed the door behind her so that nobody else would hear. What had Rachel done wrong? She rummaged through her memory as she came to sit down on one of the family's new pine dining room chairs. She remembered that she'd once taken a cashmere jumper from Marks and Spencer's, but that was nearly ten years ago, and she was nearly sure it was an accident. Rachel wasn't certain how best to arrange her expression. Should she be shocked? Apologetic or upset? I understand you were at Mrs. Victoria Burton Swift's residence last night. Is that correct? The two uniformed police officers had taken out notepad and pen. This must be something really quite serious. Yes, I was, said Rachel, all hesitancy and unsure. Have you spoken to your friend this morning? No. Why would I have? No phone calls? No news? It's ten o'clock. It's a Saturday morning. Michael and I always lie in until twelve. And we're heading off to Donegal at two o'clock. Victoria knows. She has no need to phone me. How did you find Mrs Burton Swift last night? Rachel wasn't sure quite what to say. On the one hand, the evening had been perfectly normal. But on the other, Victoria had had her hands rather full with her daughter, Dawn. I think she was quite tired, officer. 
not quite her usual bubbly self. Her daughter's here, you see, over from England, and she has, well, lots of issues. The two uniformed officers looked up at their senior, as if speaking to him in some kind of secret code. The plain-clothes policeman nodded to them in return. He turned back to Rachel and announced that this was as reasonable a time as any to inform her of what had really occurred. Inform me of what? Is Victoria all right? Are you saying that that little child has done something to her? Can you explain what you mean, Mrs Fowler? I'm not calling the girl a monster, but let's say that yesterday she was playing up. When I arrived at the house, she'd taken a branch to the cesspit. If you can believe it, she'd opened it up and was prodding all around. Poor Victoria, I think she was most overwhelmed and embarrassed. Rachel saw that the two uniformed officers were frantically taking notes. Could this little girl have fatally poisoned her mother? Rachel reeled back in shock. Her chair rocked with the force of her indignation. Please, tell me Victoria's all right. I'm afraid we found Mrs Burton Swift in her kitchen larder this morning. Dead. Rachel's face contorted into nearly a laugh. I doubt that very much. We're off to Charmel Shake in two weeks. Mrs Fowler, please understand that your friend Victoria Burton Swift died last night. Rachel shook her head. It surely couldn't be true. She felt a wave of sickness come over her. She felt herself almost levitate from her seat. The world, the room, the characters within it, the hum of the video games next door, all of it was fading and dancing and singing. Her breath was quickening. She turned to the policeman. It appears, continued the officer, his voice nothing more than a barely indecipherable drone, that she drank, perhaps inadvertently a bottle of poisonous gin. Forensics are currently running tests to confirm. It looks like it could be some kind of deadly nightshade. Rachel had heard of unhinged individuals attacking and murdering humans and other animals before. But she thought of that girl, and she thought of that gin, and surely Dawn wasn't capable of murder, such an elaborate and complicated crime. How, began Rachel, how were the police alerted? Did Dawn find her mother this morning, as you say, dead? It appears that the little girl left the house during the early hours of this morning with her dog and her suitcase. She took the 550 to Hollywood. It was Hollywood Holmes who alerted us when they failed to make contact with the mother. A forced entry was made at the Helens Bay house. Mrs. Burton Swift's body was found alone in the larder. A neighbour informed us, Mrs. He turned to his subordinates for the prompt. Featherston, I believe, that you were in attendance at the house last night. We came immediately to visit you here, as we believe you were one of the last two people to see her alive. It was within barely a whisper of a moment that Rachel began to realise her world was forever and irrevocably changed. Her best friend had gone, disappeared for good, and Dawn, on her birthday, had lost her precious mummy. Who's going to take care of Dawn? she asked, hoping that this question wouldn't be interpreted as an offer of any kind. 
Let's not get ahead of ourselves, Mrs Fowler, said the policeman. First, we have an untimely death to investigate, perhaps even a murder. That word struck a beat against Rachel's heaving chest. She couldn't bear it. She didn't believe it. Who would have possibly wanted Victoria dead? She didn't have any enemies that Rachel knew of. Victoria certainly wasn't the sort. Rachel put her thoughts to the policeman. Many people live with secrets, Mrs Fowler. Secrets even their best friends and closest family aren't privy to. Why did Dawn leave this morning? The investigation is ongoing. Rachel thought for a moment. It was she who knew Victoria best. Perhaps her wisdom and world of understanding could aid the investigation, shed some light on the untimely death. It's no secret that Victoria was a talented gardener. She liked her gin, and she was always experimenting with spices and herbs from her extensive kitchen garden. I don't know, maybe it was all just some kind of terrible accident. Victoria was loved, and she loved life. No one could have killed her, and she most certainly would not have killed herself. just five minutes after she got to the station. The nice lady on the train didn't seem to mind that Dawn didn't have any money for the ticket. Doggy had behaved very well and they'd found their way, quite easily, under the sun and the scattered showers, at last to Hollywood homes. A lady with blonde hair and the same blue uniform as the person yesterday had opened the door and given her a cup of tea and a bowl of cornflakes. She'd been allowed to see her daddy, and Doggy was to be taken care of for the day. It was around lunchtime when the policemen arrived, in their dark suits and their funny hats. Dawn was taken to an empty room. She was given another cup of tea, which she thought was very nice, and she was asked a series of questions. The policewoman had long red hair pulled tightly in a bun. She was very nice. She even put her arm round Dawn's shoulder. Is it all right if I ask you a few questions about your mummy? Dawn only shrugged because she didn't really care for her mum. Did you see your mummy this morning, before you left your home? It's not my home. My home's in England. So you are only visiting, is that right? Dawn nodded. She explained that she lived in a house with Etta and Mrs Wade and four other women at Lowton's but that she was going to move into a big house in Wimbledon before Mummy fixed it with Dr Jones so that Dawn wouldn't be allowed. You live at a boarding school? Yes, that's where I live. Did you see your Mummy often? Not much, said Dawn, but since Auntie Kira died I've seen her a little bit more. 
Dawn thought that she was going to have to explain about Auntie Kira to the policewoman, but it seemed that she knew already what had happened, because she just nodded at Dawn and smiled. That's all right, dear. Dawn took a sip of her hot tea. What do you want to know about my mummy? The policewoman took a long pause before she gave a soft-spoken reply. Your mummy hasn't been well, Dawn. When you arrived at Hollywood Homes this morning, the lady on duty was very worried because it was so early in the morning and you arrived on your own. She tried to phone your mother, but your mother didn't answer the call. Dawn didn't say it, but she knew her mummy didn't like her, so she really wasn't surprised. Two policemen were sent to the house. They had to break down the door. They found your mummy inside, but she wasn't moving. Really? What do you mean? Oh, Dawn, I'm really sorry that I have to tell you this, but I'm afraid your mummy is dead. Oh, said Dawn, blankly. So that's why she didn't chase after me. Chase after you? Were you running away this morning? Were you having a fight? Well, sort of. She was angry with me because I kept talking about Auntie Kira and I wanted to call my doggy Auntie Kira but she wouldn't let me. Can you tell me, Dawn, why you were talking all the time about Auntie Kira? Dawn looked at the floor. Should she tell the policewoman? Should she open the box of scary thoughts that she'd closed so firmly last night? Should she let her mummy's name get dirty with everybody beginning to point their angry fingers? Etta's advice still spoke to Dawn that forgiveness was always the best thing to do. I miss Auntie Kira. I love Auntie Kira. Those were the only words that Dawn allowed herself to say. And you left your home just because you were arguing about the name of your new doggy. I really wanted to see my daddy. It's my birthday today. Dawn found it strange looking at the pretty lady as she took her next sip of what by now was quite cold tea. It looked like the lady was going to cry. Are you all right? asked Dawn. You're very brave. That's nice. People have to be brave when nasty things happen. Nasty things do happen in this world quite a lot. Dawn leant forward. She gave the policewoman a hug. Thank you, she said. She sounded to Dawn very surprised. Do you have any questions? What happened to Mummy? I thought she was in bed and I tiptoed out because I didn't want to wake her. Well, there's no sign of what we call foul play. Nobody broke into the house. There was no sign of a struggle. But she drank some dangerous liquid. It seems, maybe, by mistake. It was a drink called gin but it had been made poisonous by accident with a special kind of plant. Was it purple? asked Dawn. Yes. How do you know? There's a plant in the garden that's enough to kill a dodo. Your mummy's friend said she liked to experiment with plants from the garden in her drinks. Is that true? Dawn nodded. Yes. Yes, it is. Mummy put lots of things in our food. My Horlicks tasted so terrible I had to spit it out. It's not the first time an amateur herbalist has got it very wrong. The number of people who die every year from eating poisonous mushrooms, 
It's terribly sad. Terribly sad, parroted Dawn. But she wasn't sad at all. Dawn finished the last of her tea, and she asked the policewoman if she was allowed to go and see her daddy. Thank you very much, Dawn. It was nice to meet you. You've answered all of our questions very well. Chapter 76 The Sparrow Hawk It was Dawn who announced to Geoffrey the good news. Dawn's soft words landed in Geoffrey's ears. He was overcome with relief, happiness, and ultimate calm that Dawn had been spared any violence. He wanted to ask his daughter if she had had any part in Victoria's demise, but he couldn't speak to Dawn, and he couldn't ask her any questions. He just felt his hand resting in hers, and he seemed to know that everything would finally be all right. Can you believe it, Daddy? Dawn kept whispering. And it's my birthday, and we've got each other now. Dawn kept babbling on about all sorts of things. Geoffrey heard her talk about Auntie Kira, about the Wimbledon house, about how she was going to move Geoffrey to England, how they were never going to be separated again. Geoffrey couldn't contain his thoughts. He couldn't control them like he used to be able to do. He knew his daughter was much more intelligent, much more gifted and thoughtful than anyone had ever assumed. He knew Dawn knew the terrible things that her mother had done. Dawn didn't seem to want to admit it, but he wondered if she just hadn't arranged for Victoria to finally go. But I didn't tell the police about all the bad things Mummy's done, and all the bad things she was planning to do, because Etta always tells me it's better to forgive and forget. Geoffrey and Dawn spent a wonderful day together, sitting together in the garden, Dawn pointing out all of the beautiful birds. It was a day Geoffrey wanted to last forever, a day of relief after all these lonely years of waiting, trapped in his bedroom, in the home and in his head. As Dawn lay asleep on the floor of his room that night, Geoffrey wept and wondered if he'd ever been this happy since the day he'd been forced into marriage. He looked down at his daughter and smiled as she slept. It was just the two of them now, and he was glad. passed away during the previous year, but they had spent many happy years together with Mrs. Wade in the Wimbledon house. Mrs. Wade had retired five years ago. She had been replaced by a younger lady, Claire, who was very energetic and loved dogs, just like Dawn. In the beginning, they walked Kira on the common every day, 
but Kira had also died and was soon replaced by Dodo, another golden Labrador. Claire also liked looking at birds. She had a long and complicated name for it, but Dawn preferred to stick to the simpler word, birdwatching. Over the years, Dawn had come to appreciate just how important birdwatching was. It required patience, a love of nature, a lack of judgment, and a keen and observant eye. The phone call that came that afternoon confirmed to Dawn that these qualities were very useful in life. Because if you were patient, if you loved nature, if you lacked judgment, but you kept a keen and observant eye, everything would be revealed to you if you could just wait long enough. Dawn had sold the Helen's Bay house the same year that Mummy had died in it. It was lovely because she had enough money to support her daddy in a nice home nearby. Dawn saw her daddy every day until he finally died soon after her 32nd birthday. Towards the end of his life, some of daddy's speech had returned so they could talk to each other and share all of their thoughts. Modern treatments, physiotherapy and speech therapy had all improved his quality of life. Dawn rarely thought about her own mummy. She was so busy and absorbed in her own life. But the strange phone call that arrived that afternoon punctured, at least momentarily, the cocoon of her happy existence. It was a strange conversation that Dawn could never have imagined would occur. It was the police in Northern Ireland, at the other end of the line. They were telling Dawn that a new investigation was soon to be opened into the death of her aunt. A body had been discovered in the cesspit of her mother's old Helen's Bay house. The home had been put on the market that summer by the previous owners, and a wealthy young couple had bought it, with plans to connect the house to main sewage and build a swimming pool at the bottom of the garden, where the cesspit had always been. Excavation of the cesspit had taken place during the first week of September. The waste had been removed by a big lorry, and a wide expanse of concrete at the bottom of the container had been revealed. But they'd found something shocking poking through the concrete, the tips of skeletal fingers. A full excavation had had to be done. As Kira Dunleavy's closest relative, it was requested that Dawn report to the local police station for DNA testing. And so, after all these years, Dawn's understanding of her birdwatching had been ultimately proved right, that with patience and without judgment, the full truth would finally be revealed.